Uh, the first chapter of the book of James is where we're going to look at in just a minute. Mark Antony was the silver-throated orator of Rome, handsome and brilliant, courageous and strong. He had all the qualities to make him a ruler of the world. He had one fatal flaw. He was vulnerable to temptation. He was vulnerable to immorality. And one day his teacher, his confidant and advisor, put it like this, O Marcus, O colossal child, able to conquer the world, but cannot conquer the world within you. We were saying, cannot conquer temptation. All of us face the fact that we are tempted, and we are tempted. And we battle every day of our life with the tempter and with temptation. We all are aware of that. Some preacher doesn't have to get up and spend your time telling you that. But we may not know how to overcome it, how to resist it. We may not even know what temptation is. And so the question is, what is it and how can I overcome when I am tempted? Well, I think there's some help, you know, in the Scripture, and, and it begins in James chapter 1, a book written by the man whose name it bears. And this man wrote under the Spirit of God, and he wrote to people who were living, who labored and lived under very difficult circumstances. He tells us in the first verse of the first chapter that the letter was addressed to the Jews of the dispersion. He's talking about those who had been scattered by persecution. For the Jews had been scattered across the face of the earth and were vagabonds. He, they had become refugees, really, without a country, without a home. And you can imagine all the difficulties that they lived under because of that. And verses 2 through 12 describes various trials that these people endure and we endure. And then he comes to verse 13 and he begins to talk about temptation. But the word is the same. The word trials in the first, two, the first 12 verses and, and, and then the shift to temptation is the same word, it's just used different. And the way you understand how a word is used in Scripture is, is to read its context so you understand that, it, that he's talking about trials and then he's talking about temptations and, and I think in some translations it's used the same way, same word. But there's a difference that you and I understand, as you and I understand, between trials and temptations. Let me show you the difference. A trial is an ordeal that tests one's faith. It's a hardship. And it is not something that is evil or brought about by something evil. As a matter of fact, I think God sends trials into people's lives from time to time. But a temptation is something different. I want you to get this definition of temptation. Temptation is an act of inducement or enticement to do wrong by the promise of pleasure or gain. It's an enticement to do wrong by the promise of pleasure or gain. This, this definition, the one I'm about to give you is the best. I hope you can write this down and remember it from, for the rest of your life. Temptation is an enticement or inducement to use a God-given desire in a God-forbidden way. It is an inducement, an enticement to use a God-given desire 
in a God-forbidden way. The, de the desire for sexual pleasure is a God-given desire. It's just often used in a God-forbidden way. Anger is a God-given emotion. It's just often used in a God-forbidden way. Ambition is a God-given emotion or desire. It's just often used in a God-forbidden way. Every desire that a man has is God-given, believe it or not. It may surprise you. And temptation is an inducement or an enticement to use that God-given desire in a God-forbidden way. Now, there are four principles regarding temptation, and you, you find to see your work, your outline there. So I want to read verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Four principles regarding temptation. Number one, temptation is inevitable. It's not if you're tempted, it's when you're tempted. And that's what he says here, when you're tempted. It's not a matter of when a, if a person's going to, be a, uh, going to be tempted, but when he is, temptation is inevitable. And if you're looking for a place on planet Earth when you, where you'll be free from temptation, you'll never find one. Monasticism grew out of the erroneous con thought that somewhere a man could find a paradise or build a paradise where temptation was excluded. It's not possible. As a matter of fact, you have within yourself your own lusts, he said. I heard about this guy who visited a monastery on the northeast coast, and he, he said, I was literally overwhelmed by these huge gray walls around that monastery. You've seen them out in Colorado if you've traveled out there any. And he said he, he was visiting with the head honcho, the abbot of the, of the monastery, and he just kind of jokingly said, I guess you build these walls around, around here to keep the monks in, you know, lock them in. And the abbot wasn't in a mood for jokes, and he looked back at the guy and very seriously said, no, we haven't built the walls to keep the monks in. We build the walls to keep the sin out. If that were just possible, you know, to do that. I mean, even in this church building with these walls, right here in this sanctuary right now, you know, we're tempted. So there's no place where temptation is not. Second principle. Temptation is never directed by God. Now, God permits temptation, but He doesn't cause it or direct it. It's obvious in the story of Adam and Eve that God permits temptation. And God permitted temptation in the life of Job. He does permit it, but He doesn't direct it. 1 John 1 says, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. It is not possible for Him to tempt one to sin. Third, Temptation is an individual matter. Now watch this carefully. Each one, he said, is tempted when by his own. Now notice the emphasis there on the individuality of temptation. When each one by his own. It's an individual matter. You can't blame another person for temptation, for, for sin, for, for yielding to temptation. Now watch this. 
There is nothing that is strong enough outside of us alone that can cause us to sin. It takes an agreement on our part. Now, everybody loved Whit Wilson, Flip Wilson when he would say, the devil made me do it, but it's, just, it's not possible for that to happen. There is nothing outside of you that's strong enough to cause you to sin unless there is an agreement on your part to that sin. Let me give you an illustration. If I had an electromagnet here tonight, the most powerful magnet on the face of the earth, I could hold it up to this pulpit all night long, it wouldn't, it wouldn't do a thing to it. Or, or this carpet or plastic. Because there's nothing inside this pulpit or this carpet or that plastic that, that agrees with that magnet or that responds to it. So that when temptation comes, there would not be sin if there wasn't something in you, inside of you that wanted to respond to that, that wanted to, that wanted to agree with that. So that the attraction is there, but nothing outside of you can cause you to sin unless you have an agreement with that. Fourth, temptation that leads to sin always follows the same process. Now, under that, that uh, number four, you'll put A, B, C, and D if you're doing an outline. Some of you are writing notes, and some of you are writing notes. <laughs> but if you're writing notes, it's A, B, C, and D. Four steps. Look at verses 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. These are the four steps of the process. Number one, the outer bait is dropped. Now you picture, if you will, this big old fish, you know, catfish. He's kind of laying around under a rock, just taking it easy. Whatever they do, he's kind of laying back, you know, smoking a seaweed or whatever. And... And all of a sudden, there's this beautiful, big, juicy worm just comes, drop down right in front of him, you know. This bait is dropped. The outer bait, there's that enticement is there. Second step. The inner desire is attracted by the bait or to the bait. The inner desire is attracted to the bait. It is bait that, inter that interests the fish. Now watch this, kids. Watch well, this, adults. The devil knows what interests you. The devil knows what, knows what interests you. Now, I can get up here and I can preach all night long on dipping because I have absolutely no interest in dipping snuff, you know, or smoking cigarettes. And a lot of people do that. I mean, they rip and tear on something. It has absolutely no, there's absolutely no temptation to them. I have no desire. Last time I had a desire to dip, I turned this beautiful green color and, and <laughs> lost everything that I had eaten for six months, and right at, I lost my desire to dip after that. Now, I, it has no, but there are things that do interest me. And the, and the devil knows what interests you. And that's where he always drops the bait. It's amazing how that works. Third step. The sin occurs with the yielding to the desire. 
The sin occurs with the yielding to the desire. Someone shared with me this week, you need to get this and read it. It, it don't take you about three hours to read that book. It's called Turkeys and Eagles. No, so Peter Lloyd wrote it. It's, it's hilarious. It's great. And he talks about the fact that, that our minds are bombarded with thoughts, but bad thoughts are not sin. It's like going into a bank and you're standing there at the teller and nobody's around, all that money laying out there within arm's reach, and you're thinking to yourself, I could get that money right there, pockets full of it, and put it in my hand if I wanted to. Nobody's watching. That's not a sin. Because you thought that's not a sin. Because the thought or the enticement comes into your mind, that's not a sin. Sin occurs with the yielding to the temptation, to the desire. Fourth step, sin leads to tragic consequences. And in between points C and D, between the occurring of sin with the yielding and the tragic consequences is a temporary period of pleasure. A temporary underlying period of pleasure so that I yield to the temptation and there is a temporary period of pleasure, maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe years, but then sin leads to tragic consequences. It's like an old boy has a little problem with his automobile and it runs over, you know, run, it dies on the side of the road and he's going to check his gas. I guarantee you he doesn't get him a cigarette lighter and hold it over the, over the gas tank and, you know, trying to peek down in there because something in that light, that fire, and something inside that tank is going to cause, you know, an, an, an explosion. And a man yields to temptation and there is momentary pleasure, but the consequences of sin are always tragic. Please under that line that, young people. Now, there's some practical things that we can do about temptation. What I've tried to do on Sunday night is to, you know, do some practical things, so here we go. Uh, you need a Bible handy or you need your pen? Okay, number one, practical things. I must counteract temptation and not tolerate it. So get your Bible, and we're going to do a little search through Scripture. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Now, it's going to take us a little while to find those, I'm sure, and while you're thumbing there, you, you write it down. You might not find it by the time I do. You might find it before I do, but... Be sure and get this so you can look it up. Do it in your quiet time this week, young people. I'm not up here just to, you know, trying to help you, okay? I must counteract temptation and not tolerate it. Romans 6, 13, listen to this. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about a daily practice of recommitting your life, resurrendering your life, representing your life to God and every part of your life. The members of your body include your mind and your, your tongue and your, your hands presenting that to God. I want you to find, turn to one that I found not long ago in my quiet time. It literally revolutionized my life. That's the truth whether it happened or not. 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 3. The most exciting verse of Scripture I have found in a long time is 1 John 3, verse 5, verses 5 through 8. Look at this. 
No one who abides in him sins. That is, goes on sinning. No one who abides in him goes on doing the same things over and over again that are wrong. No one who sins continually has seen him or knows him. Little children, let no one deceive you. The one who practices sin is unrighteous. The one who practices righteous is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God, now underline this, the Son of God appeared for, his, for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Now, when you're tempted, or when you're involved in some sinful lifestyle or practice, put your finger on that verse and say to God, Jesus has come to destroy the work of the devil, and this is the work of the devil. I'm claiming you to destroy it. I cannot continue to tolerate sin. I've got to counteract it. That's what I do. Second step. We must use certain techniques with certain temptations. Now, he's going to, we're going to see some of those temptations. I use certain techniques with certain temptations. All right, suppose there is a temptation to sensuality, to sexual pleasure, to satisfy the sexual desire that's God-given. What are some techniques to deal with that, all right? Number one, plan your defense. Plan your defense. That is, I disciplined. Discipline of the eye. Turn back to, Rome, to Job chapter 31. The book of Job, Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Job 31, verse 1. Guys, listen to this. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I gaze at a virgin? The word is young woman. I have made a covenant with my eyes. How could I gaze? How could I set my eyes to look upon or to gaze upon or to stare at for the desire, to satisfy the desire, young woman? Turn one, two books over to Proverbs chapter 4, verse 25. Proverbs 4, 25. Let your eyes look directly ahead and let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Uh, what the wise man is saying is that don't allow yourself to look with the desire upon an attractive woman. All right, I, I plan my eye defense, eye discipline. Second, run from it. Run from it. Sensuality, get, get out of there, run from it. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Would you turn back to that with me? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. Listen. Now flee from youthful lusts. Flee from them. And pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Flee from it. Make this notation. 
Genesis chapter 39 is the story of Joseph when he fled from the temptation. He just took out. He left. Gar girls, guard your looks and your look. Fellas, guard your tongue and your touch. Flee from useful lust. I suppose there is a desire to get rich. Who, had, who doesn't have that desire? What, are some, what is a practical, some practical thing I can do when I have this desire to get rich quick? Well, start giving generously. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Look at that, right there handy. 1 Timothy 6, 9. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare many foolish harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many a pang. Verses 17 and 18. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, instruct them to do good and be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So if a person has this desire to get rich, to accumulate, let him know that the way to, to counteract that temptation is to begin to give, to share. When you're tempted to gossip, avoid it. Don't even get started in it. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. 1 Timothy 6, right there. O Timothy, guard what has been instructed to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and those gone astray, and thus gone astray from the faith. Suppose you're tempted to steal. The Scripture says to work with your hands, Ephesians 4.28. The desire to get rich. All right, number three. I must remind myself that the final pain will erase the temporary pleasure. Turn to, Gal to Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. You understand what this is about? May need to remind you. What we're trying to do is to find some way to, to overcome temptation some practical things that will help us to overcome temptation. Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. I remind flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall reap eternal life. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11. Verses 24 and 25. By faith Moses, when he'd grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. It's just temporary. And the final pain will erase the temporary pleasure. Second. Fourth, I believe it is, I must control my thought life through consistent and constant scripture memory. 
I must control my thought life through constant, consistent Scripture memory. Turn to Psalm 119, 9 and 11, 9 through 11. What a marvelous verse or passage. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to thy word, with all my heart I have sought thee. Do not let me wonder for my commandments. Thy word have I treasured in my heart that I may not sin against thee. The consistent memory, memorization of Scripture keeps me from temptation, from sin when I'm tempted. And then I must pray specifically. Luke twenty-two forty. Would you turn to that and that'll be it. And a cheer goes up. Luke twenty-two forty. And when he, Jesus, arrived at the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. Verse 46. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. I found this to be true, that every sin of my life is associated with a period of prayerlessness. And I pray specifically. I pray that God will give me the right friends and associates. I pray that God will protect my mind, put a guard at my lips. God will keep me from sin. Pray specifically that God will help you. Remember that God's plan is not isolation, but insulation. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do not ask that we be delivered from being tempted, but that we might overcome, that we might be victorious, that we might grow through temptation, and that we might be the example of those who have indeed more than conquered. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. There are three invitations. One invitation is to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I have a feeling that every time we come in here, somebody, there's somebody, has, has to be, has to be somebody in this congregation, this group. has never for the first time received Jesus Christ into his life or her life. has never repented from the life apart or without Jesus to Jesus and faithed Him. The invitation tonight is for you to receive Jesus as your Savior. An invitation to join the church. If this is where God wants you to be, this is where you need to be. An invitation to walk closer to the Lord. Perhaps you've been guilty of falling into temptation, into sin. You've sinned against God. Others of your friends know about it. Your witness has been ruined, destroyed, affected, hurt, damaged. But you're not happy with the fact that you're living outside of God's will and you want to get it right and you want it to, you want it to be that your friends will know that you're getting right. Maybe you need to come and rededicate your life. Confess your sin to God. Come to Him. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.